It doesn't matter if you're a few days sober or 10 years sober. Cravings happen. At their best, they are annoying. At their worst, they sneak up on you when you least expect it and smack you upside the head and suddenly everything is spinning and you don't know which way is up. Join us as we kick off season two with an incredible conversation about what cravings can feel like and how we've learned to deal with them. By the end of this episode, you'll have a whole new stack of tools to add to your sober toolbox, and you'll realize that cravings aren't actually something to fear or feel bad about at all. Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, but it's also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Steve and Julie. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full, there's no space left for alcohol. You guys, we are so excited to be bringing new content to you again. We had a wonderful two-month break over the summer, but we are thrilled to be back. It wasn't all fun and games, though. Steve and I both took recovery coaching courses. I'm now a nationally certified recovery coach professional, and Steve is just about finished with his certification, too. If you're struggling with staying sober or are looking for an extra level of support and accountability, drop us an email at throughtheglassrecovery at gmail.com or contact us through the website, and we can talk about how one of us can meet your needs. Welcome everybody to the first episode of season two of Through the Glass Recovery Podcast. We have really enjoyed the last two months of a break, and we are also super excited to get going again. So before we introduce our guests for tonight, I thought Steve and I might just do a quick recap of of how long we've been sober. I am just about to hit two years. And Steve, where are you at? I am two years and five months, so I'm looking forward to celebrating your two years here soon. Yay, me too. Yeah, and if you are new to Through the Glass Recovery podcast, if you're a new listener and you've just discovered us this season, you can learn more about Steve and me if you go back to episode zero, and you can get a little bit of a backstory and background of who we are and why we started this podcast. So definitely check that out if you haven't uh haven't listened before. And yeah, now we'll go ahead and move forward with introductions for these three amazing people that are with us tonight. We will start with Matt. Yes, my name is Matt. I am six and a half months sober. It's the longest I've ever been sober. I've tried this numerous times. By far, this is the longest that I've gone without drinking. I'm from upstate New York, about a half hour north of Albany. I got two kids. They take up a lot of my time. And uh, that's really about it. Awesome. Well, congratulations on six and a half months. That is huge. Yeah, those, good for you, man. Those Thanks. early months are hard, so you definitely deserve some props for that. And really nice to have you on and really nice to get to meet you finally. And next, we will go with Katie. Hi, my name is Katie. I am 42 years old. I have three years, five months, and one day sober. Right on. And- so close to three and a half years, hard to believe. I am, um, I live in Everett, Washington. I'm originally from Texas. I've been here for about 17 years. I have one birth child and two bonus kids. 
I worked in healthcare for 15 years, and then I have now transitioned into, um, I work at an inpatient treatment center. Right on. So cool. Really cool. Yeah, that is an absolute blessing for the people there. I'm sure your experience does a lot to help inspire them. So amazing. And thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your wisdom and experience with us. And last but not least, we have Robbie. And Robbie has actually been on before. He was on in season one, and he is back for a second round. So apparently we didn't scare him away. <laughs> Robbie, tell us about yourself. Hello, I'm Robbie. I we live in Rapid City, South Dakota. Today is 262 days of sobriety for myself. Right on, right on. Thank you. It's been a wonderful journey. And, you know, ups and downs, of course. I have a daughter that's about to turn 13. The love of my life, you know. And that's about it. Really cool. Welcome to Teenage Parenting. Your life is about to change forever. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can see that. <laughs> Those ups and downs just get a lot bigger. The ups get a lot higher and the the downs get a lot lower. You'll do fine. You'll be amazing. You're an awesome dad. Cool. Well, thank you for being back, Robbie. Um, our topic tonight is cravings and triggers. This was our most popular topic in season one. So we decided to revisit it with a new group of guests to see what new ideas and experience that we can gain from them. No matter where you're at in recovery, whether you're just starting out or if you've been on this path for years, cravings can crop up out of nowhere. And I want to talk about not only the tools and resources, but what cravings have been like for you. It's easy when you're in the middle of a craving to tell yourself this is so much worse than anyone else has felt. This is so much harder than it for me than it ever was for them. And to let that kind of take over your thinking. So I think it's important for us to talk about what those moments are like for us. So tell us about some of your cravings, recent ones, back in early recovery. What were they like? How did you get through them? And what have you learned to make them a little bit easier? Well, I'll go. First, yeah, I can't be in the silence. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I think, you know, a lot of my cravings, especially in the beginning, really came from situations. I had a lot of FOMO I guess sometimes I still do but definitely in the beginning of my sobriety that first year was really hard I got sober during COVID and it was very difficult to I had a group of friends that we all drank together and when I got out of treatment I never heard a word from them and that was really hard because I knew they were all still together I mean you know social media the way that works the story that tells what you want to believe and not but I saw pictures I knew they were all still drinking together and having fun and partying and even through COVID it was really hard for me to to miss out on that and I felt a lot of I felt it you know had a lot of depression about missing out on those situations I I guess I had to take it moment by moment because I couldn't sometimes even go like just for today was not enough. I had to like set timers. Sometimes I would get really itchy, like that feeling, like physically feeling jittery and itchy and like wanting to go and having these insane thoughts of having a drink would take all of that anxiety away. 
I have a teenager and definitely have had to deal with a lot of those moments of just frustration and anger. And so how much easier it would be to deal with the situation if I were drinking, if I had been drunk in those, those times. So I would have to set timers on my microwave and tell myself, okay, you've got 10 minutes, go do something for 10 minutes. And if that feeling is still not gone, then I would set the timer again for another 10 minutes. I created a toolbox that I had told myself I never wanted to relapse. And so I created this toolbox and I have it sitting on a whiteboard right behind this computer, actually, where I have to look at and say, what do I have to go through all these steps before I can allow myself to go drink? And that's been really helpful. Yeah. That is brilliant. What do I have to do? What do I have to go before I can go drink. That's amazing. I love that. I don't know that I've ever heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. You're not taking that. You're not taking it away from yourself. You're just like, I have to do this first. That's brilliant. I absolutely love that. Really cool. Sometimes it's hard to just say like no to yourself, right? Like that's a really big statement to make. And when you're in recovery, especially early recovery, I think it seems very daunting just to say, oh, no, I can't do that again ever. But if I say to myself, okay, I have to talk to my husband first. I have to talk to my, I have to call my sponsor. I have to go to a meeting. I have to take my dog for a walk. I have to write a letter and put it in my God box. Um, I have to, I mean, there, those are just some of the things in my toolbox that I have to do before I would allow myself to drink. And by the time, half the time, before I got through the first, like, three I was already past my craving and that temptation was gone. Right. So I'm going to ask you, would you be willing to share your list or parts of your list with us? Not right yeah. here, but would you be willing to maybe send them to me so I can share those in the show notes for our listeners? Oh, sure. Because that sounds like an amazing list that could help a lot of people. So if you're willing to do that, we yeah, would love absolutely. that. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. I think that's a big thing is that cravings don't actually last as long as they feel like they're gonna last right once somebody told me cravings last on average 15 to 20 minutes and then they're gone when you're in it it doesn't feel that way but after it's gone you're like oh no that that really was only 15 minutes and so yeah that's exactly I, I can see how you probably wouldn't even make it all the way through a list like that because it just passes I know for me, there were like, there were two different types of cravings that I've had over the last couple of years. There's the ones that are like, they're, they're sucky cravings, but they felt like I could handle them. They felt like something I could manage. I would be like, oh, I'm having a craving right now. I don't really want to drink. So I'm going to do these things. And then there was this whole, whole other type of craving where it like, it sunk its claws into me. And it felt like it was taking over everything. And there were cravings, especially early on where like there there was nothing I could do. I was curled up on my bed sobbing. I had earbuds in with music as loud as it would go. I was like just scribbling my thoughts in a journal. It was it was like a moment of desperation and I all I could do was like lay there and suffer. And I've only had like four or five cravings like that where it just it takes over 
everything. And all I wanted was to drink. All I could think about was drinking, but I knew I couldn't and I knew it wasn't an option. And I just like that was the lowest of the lows for me in recovery have been those handful of times that the cravings were so intense that it was just it was just like fetal position and and sobbing. And it just it takes so much to get through those. I would be exhausted afterwards. I mean, those are the ones where you just put yourself to bed as soon as you can possibly put yourself to bed, right? Like 6.30 suddenly becomes a perfectly acceptable bedtime. <laughs> yeah. And everybody in the house can fend for themselves. And that's you just, all you need to do is wake up sober. And those were those were hard times. I think I feel like there were really two different levels of cravings for me. And I haven't had one of those in a long, long time. Um, where like I still get the thoughts that crop up every now and then, even two years in, like, oh, a drink would be nice. But but those really bad ones haven't happened in a long time. My cravings in the beginning were pretty noticeable. My substance of choice was cannabis, so I could use it all the time if I wanted to, even at work. Second was alcohol. So when I decided to stop using I I pretty much use cannabis for everything. Bad days at work, good days at work, bad situations, good situations. So when I when I did stop using cannabis, it was really conflicting where my emotions went. And my cravings would always just go right back to cannabis because that's what I use to cope. So some things would set it off, especially my car would really set up those cravings just getting in and out of the car because if I had a bad day at work you know as soon as I clocked out I could get in the car and start using it if I wanted to driving home you know most of the time I'd use it the whole way home you get in the house and it wouldn't stop so once I did stop all those reminders were always there so it it right when I would walk through any door the cravings would hit and as the days went on they uh, started going away a little bit. But I wish I would have had that toolbox that Katie was talking about because that would have helped a lot. I was just white knuckling and I just, I'm one of those type of people when I put my mind to do it, I'm going to do it. So there was no question if I was going to use, but I did have to fight those cravings for at least three good weeks with the cannabis. The alcohol was a little easier for me to put away. Um, to tell you the truth, I still have cravings for alcohol this day though. Not so much with cannabis anymore, but I will still get those cravings with alcohol for some reason, especially during social situations. I think that's where I used alcohol a lot was for social situations. The cannabis was, could be social, but it was mostly when I was by myself. It's like one was a cure for the loneliness and the other one was the, uh, the social lubricant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say for me, like cravings and triggers, when I first started getting sober, for like the first time I tried to get sober, I remember hearing about them like, no, I don't have those. I just, I just drink. You know what I mean? It's just, I don't need a reason to do it. I just do it. You know, as it progressively got worse by drinking, I was so physically dependent on it um, that it's all, all I knew. It's all my body knew. Um, so when I first quit drinking, it's, it wasn't really actually 
too bad for me. I mean, I lived in a very small bubble, you know, get up, go to work, do the whatever tasks I had to do after work and get home. If I could do that, I was safe. Now, two to three months in, I just had cravings for beer. And that was not what I was drinking. You know, at the end, it was, I was drinking hard liquor. And it was just like, I missed those experiences of like sitting around just drinking beer. And those, those you know, kind of tapered off, went away. And then about maybe like four months in, I just started wanting that, that burning feeling of drinking liquor. Like that's what I wanted. I don't, I don't want anything to do with what it does to me mentally, physically, all the problems it brings along. It's like, I just wanted that burn and, you know, talked about it uh, a few times with my counselor and, you know, they, they gradually went away. But, um, last week, last weekend was the first weekend in the last six, six months that I didn't have my kids and each evening it was, I felt lost. Like my body wanted something, wanted something just to slow down and stop. You know, I made it through no problems, but this past weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I got smacked in the face progressively worse each day. Friday night, I had my daughter. We went and got pizza, and she wanted to go to a store next to the pizzeria. And right next to there was a liquor store. And I knew if I put that pizza in my car and went back to another store, that the liquor store was there and just didn't feel right. Something inside was like, you can't do that. Just get in the car, go home. So I got in the car, went home and said, we'll go to the store tomorrow. So then we went out Saturday, get home again. She's like, oh, we didn't get to go to the store. And again, something was like, if you leave, there's no guarantee. This is, this is what my mind telling me. There's no guarantee. And I felt horrible because it's like, she's six years old. I can't tell her that, but I know staying home, I'm safe. So I was like, you know what? We have no reason to go. We'll go tomorrow. Went Sunday. Things were fine. The evening came around. My son was over and um, he wanted to go back to his mom's house. So I was like, I'll bring you home. So around here, liquor stores close at six on Sundays. It's 5.30 and my brain kicks into, you got a half hour to get your son home, get to the liquor store. And it was like, whoa. And I was like, that's bad. Like, you know, I, I have two, two voices in my head going back and forth. Like, watch yourself, go there, get back. And it was like, I'm going to go for a walk though. So it was a nice afternoon, something that I like to do. And then it's like, yeah, you can go for a walk, but go to the liquor store first. And as I'm driving him home, it was, how much can you drink so that when you get home, people won't know. Then it was, how much can you drink after that, where you're still going to get up at five o'clock in the morning to, okay, can you drink as much as you used to and then still be okay tomorrow? I mean, this is within a matter of five minutes. This is all going through my head. And I'm just like, all right, don't drive home by the liquor store. And then, you know, then I'm like, no, I can do this. I can, I can make it through this. And, you know, 5.58, drove by the liquor store. And I was like, I got two minutes. I got to survive two minutes and I had nothing to worry about. But that 30 minutes was straight chaos, you know? And a lot of people, they're like, they asked me about how my drinking was. And 
you know, if they listen to what I just what I just told you guys, they they can't believe it. But it's it's what your brain does to you. It has a conversation on its own. Mm-hmm. You know, two voices saying, "Do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it." And I heard this um, this quote today. And it was, uh, I never make a permanent decision based on a temporary emotion. Yeah. It's an amazing and quote. I was like, I was like, wow, like that is it right there. You know, as sitting at six months, I don't know if I can go back to day one again, you know? And then that's, that is probably the biggest thing that keeps me going. And when I heard that quote today and, uh, it was just kind of like, that's it. You know, you can make it through it. It's temporary. Do what you got to do, make it through, temporary. That is, that's such, I love that quote. And it sounds a little bit dramatic when, like, my brain would be like, well, it, this is just a drink. This isn't permanent, right? But I, the first time I quit drinking, I relapsed after 14 months. And clawing my way out of that relapse, which took, like, a year, felt almost impossible. If I drank again, that would very likely be a permanent decision on my part. Like, I don't know that I have it in me to get out of that again. So I think that that is such a good and applicable quote for exactly that, because every craving and every feeling and every emotion and trigger, they're temporary. Right. I used to tell myself, I won't feel this way forever. That would just, I would just like chant that like a mantra. I won't feel this way forever. Because at the time, it feels like you could. You talk about the craving that comes with the bargaining. I'll try and find another excuse to break down the one that the other voice is trying to give me to hang on. I'll just minimize it a little bit more. And I'll just minimize it a little bit more. Until it's minimal enough where you, you, you hop the fence. And at least you don't hop the fence. Like I recently had... Yeah, it, it, go ahead. I was gonna say it got to the point for me where it was like to the to try to get it in it was you could have a sip and then it was how much can you drink where when you go see your counselor tomorrow you can still say you didn't drink and it got even to the point of maybe that will let it be enough to let it go away and right. I, I mean that's that's crazy absolute craziness just go buy it you know if you go buy it, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. It's not going to stop there. No, and that's the giving yourself the permission. Yeah, it's the nope. giving yourself permission. And as soon as you give yourself that permission, you've opened the door, right? Like you have, Julie talks about like leaving your, your hand on the handle, right? And as soon as you let go of that handle, it's not an option anymore. You're not going to give yourself that permission. You've let go. That's it. It's not an option. You can fight it all you want. It's just, I can't. And Katie's option there where it's like, okay, you can, but these are all the things you have to do before you do it. It's like accountability to the nth degree, but it's like a crap. You can't talk yourself out of that. You can't talk yourself into it. You're, you're, you're stuck between a ginormous rock and a hard place, and the rock is a lot bigger than the hard place. So... You're going to just climb the mountain instead. I, I think one of the things that I see all the time is, is that like cravings, people talk about them like they're bad. And I think they happen. Everyone, I, I think everyone has them one way or another. 
And not that they're bad. It's what what are you going to do with it? Julie and I had this conversation today about about you know even other drugs and you know you hear other people talking about them or whatever that that is and you're like huh I wonder if that sounds like it would be fun to try and it's like wait a second whoa one minute but like the wiring for me and like I completely relate to that the wiring for me is like the power plant sitting right next door and the wire is super short right and it's not going to take a long time for it to get there whereas for other people the wiring is miles and miles away from the the power plant and it, and it takes a while for it to get there for me that switch is short and I understand that it's that it's short I had something happen to me not too long ago that was it, I got some really really bad news it was a test that I failed. It was really hard. It was heartbreaking. Like it was a big blow to my ego. And like, I was sad. I was angry. You know, it's something I really, really wanted. And in the moment, it felt like it got ripped away and I felt alone. I was disappointed and all of these things. And I'm like, how can I let these, I'm disappointed in myself and now I'm letting other people down too. And that's what it feels like. And how am I supposed to deal with that? It was really easy when I talk about the wiring. <laughs> it's a short trip. When I know that all I need to do, this craving k- kicks in like that right away. Oh, it's just a short trip. I'm driving. I'm not far away from any place that can sell me booze. I know how to turn this off. It's an easy off switch. It's a really easy off switch for me. Whereas if you just, if I know I'm two and a half years sober and I still know to this day that if I want to make it go away, it's not going to be hard that, but it's not an option either. Cause I can't let it go away. So what do I have to do? I have to talk about it. I have to talk about what hurts. I have to share it with someone or people or something because the feeling of being alone, I'm going to isolate and then I'm going to crave to get rid of that and I know that if I don't share it then I'm not going to get people aren't going to show up for me either I'm not going to give them an opportunity to help me because I love having the opportunity to help other people and so one of my main tools is to call myself out reach out to a friend say hi hey listen this is what happened I'm hurting right now and try and not isolate myself and try and not stay quiet. Even though I wanted to big time, big, big time, I think letting people in. Absolutely agree with that. I think that one of the biggest things uh, uh, that you learn a lot, uh, that I've learned through working the program and being around a lot of other alcoholics is you get to that isolation stage and it's so easy to sit in that. And then your mind starts working, right? And so, like, I know for me, I learned through my recovery that I have to, like, immediately go and tell somebody, mm-hmm. whether that's my sponsor or, a, you know, a fellow sober or my husband. But usually it's like I find a meeting and I go to it because that's when I know I can share in very... Like, and people are going to understand what I'm going to, right? That I'm not alone in that situation. And so I think it, for me, I have to give that will up. 
like I have to let it go because if I'm in control, then what am I going to do? I'm going to talk myself into drinking. But if I'm going to be honest and, and put myself out there and say, hey, I'm holding myself accountable. And by doing that, I'm going to share it with somebody else so that, you know, that they know that I am in that spot. And usually that's very, I mean, for me, that's like, because I don't want to disappoint people. I mean, I don't want to disappoint myself more, first and foremost, but I don't want to disappoint other people either. And there's a lot of people that have um, invested in me and my sobriety. And I didn't have that when I was drinking. And so now I really want to continue to be able to make great decisions so that people are like, okay, she is working really hard at her sobriety. She is working, putting an effort into making sure that she's safe and um, doing the right thing. And that's, I think, really important. I really like what you said about that. I was having a conversation uh, with two people on Monday night, and they were talking about a situation that I was kind of placed in a couple months ago. And these two people just kept talking about it and talking about it. And as they were talking about it, I got a craving like, I just have to be drunk to listen to this shit. Like it was horrible. Like <laughs> I was like, I don't want to hear it. Actually, it felt like bringing up some like trauma that I went through because I didn't want to be in that situation, but I dealt with it. And it was amazing how my mind went from being in this conversation to isolating myself and wanting to drink to be a part of that conversation. And I just had to tell myself, I just kind of quit talking and went silent and had to tell myself, do whatever you got to do to work through this because this is going bad real fast. And like you guys were saying, it was just that switch. Boom. I want to be drunk to hear this. I don't want to be in this conversation, but if I was drunk, I'd just listen. And that was just two days ago. There's... It is so important to give yourself permission to escape any situation that is making you want to drink. Like there, I've been in, in, in different places like that too, where I'm like, the only way I can handle this is if I drink. That means I need to leave. And it can be really hard to give yourself that permission because, you know, you feel like other people expect you to be there or want you to be there or need you to be there or, or, or all of that. And giving yourself permission to just get up and walk away, even if it's for 15 or 20 minutes, like that, that craving time is so important. I don't, like rough conversations with my teenagers, things would get heated because that's what happens when you have teenagers. And the best thing that I could do when I felt like you can feel it, right? Like for me, like my heart starts racing and I can like, I start sweating and I'm like, oh, I can feel all of these emotions bubbling up. And I know that's going to lead to a craving. And as soon as I start feeling that way now, I'm like, okay, I need to step back. Like, it, it, and and often it was, okay, I need to take a break from this conversation. I'm going to go to my room for 20 minutes for an attitude adjustment. We're just all going to take a break. And then we'll see if we can pick this back up because forcing myself to stay in that situation was just going to lead me to desperately wanting to drink those feelings away. There's the other side of this coin too. You have the uh, the negative emotions, the uncomfortable situations, the ones that 
I want to run away from or the ones that I don't want to have to deal with. I guess that's kind of running away too, regardless. But what about the ones where I'm, I'm romanticizing? I'm, I'm, I'm at a dock or I'm mowing the lawn and, or it's hot out and something bubbly and a little bit. Matt talked about the burn and there's a couple of things that I, I think I'm always going to miss. And one of those is the burn of, uh, of that hard shot going down my throat, especially the first one. And I think, I mean, I mean, I still to this day, I'll see, we just, the other day, I think we parked in front of a liquor store and it had fireball right there or in gas station, there was fireball right there, right? Like the burn from fireball, you got the, you got the booze and the cinnamon, that stuff's literally fire going down, especially when it hits an empty stomach. There was something there for me that it was like instant, almost relief. It had nothing to do with the booze. I think it had everything to do with like the dopamine hit and stuff like that. And then the link to the sensation. But that part of it's romanticized for me. I remember vividly hopping in my truck and taking that first drink in the morning and going, ah, it was a sense of relief. It didn't. There's no, it, it, it was just so temporary. It was ridiculous. But I mean, I romanticized that and I still, every once in a while, I'll see that I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that burn, but I can put it away. I can acknowledge that it exists, that that craving is there. I call it a craving. We can call that a trigger if you want, because I see the picture and, and then that's what gives me the image and the sensation and the feeling and, and, and wanting to have that. But I know I can almost like grab onto it and say, yep, you exist. This isn't a part of my life anymore. Bye. And I could just put it away. Sometimes if it does get its claws in though, that's when I, for me, I'm a social person. I don't walk it off. I don't, I talk it off. It goes, it goes from sitting up here. And if it sits up here too long, I'm going to fire off a text message. I'm going to tell on myself. I'm going to do whatever that, that is. And normally when I tell on myself, all the power disappears. It doesn't exist for much longer and, you know, I'll send somebody a text message. They'll be like, you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm just getting it out, making it real. That's what I, I like to call it, make it real. As soon as it comes out of my head and I, and I say it or I send it off in a text message, I've made it real. And it makes it a lot more difficult to follow through with anything after that. It, it's funny you say that about the, the burn of the alcohol. For me, it was, it is a taking that big old hit of cannabis and cough until my eyes start watering. Uh, right now, just talking about it, I can, you know, feel it just like, how would that feel again? That, uh, it's instantly how quick that will come up. Just that romanticizing of it. Uh, I can usually put it away pretty quick, but one thing for me being an introvert, I have to talk to someone now. I have to let it out when I am feeling that way because it does put it away for me too. It just, I get it out and it's gone. And that's been a real huge struggle for me, not wanting to share my feelings or emotions with other people when times get hard. But now it's a blessing. It's truly a blessing to have a support group and know someone's there and like, oh yeah, we all have those feelings. We all have that come up. So 
it's been it's been very good for me. This is something that's very hard for me uh, still to to do is in the moment tell somebody about it. Early on, uh, first time I was trying to get sober, uh, I remember I went to somebody, a family member, and was telling them how I was feeling. They're like, I'm not the person to tell that to. <laughs> you know, threw up the wall right away. Like, oh, okay, don't talk about it. And for the longest time, that made me keep it in. Now, like even when it came up on Sunday for me, it's like the ego is like, no, I can get through this now. You know, I'm strong enough to get through this. This has taken enough for me that I should not let this take up time in my mind. Afterwards, I could talk about no problem, but in the moment, I still would rather suffer and dig through it by myself than tell somebody about it and let it go. Yeah. I think I was, um, when you were talking about being triggered by sex, I used to be, my girlfriends and I had a group of um, us that we had a thing we did, it was called, we called it Bitches Do Brunch. And every <laughs> once a month, um, some, well, I would say sometimes more than that, uh, we'd get together and have brunch and it was all about the mimosas. And it, you know, we started in the morning and then by the time afternoon came and, you know, we were just drinking all day and night. But we walked, my husband and I were walking the dog and we walked by one of the restaurants that we always used to go to. And man, it was like a flash of like remembering what that was like and just that kind of almost romanticizing what I used to have and be able to, you know, the fun that I had doing it. It was really, it caught me totally off guard. And I was just like, wow, that, that was crazy. But you know, I, for me, it's like, I can get out of that knowing that I, a year ago found out that I was in liver failure. So I was already sober and um, found this out. And I know that when I go back to drink or, or not when, but if I were to go back to drinking, that I'm, I'm, that's my life sentence right there. I'm, I'm choosing death over life. And at least at this point right now, I'm on a liver transplant list and I have an opportunity to live. And I know that like, that was the moment, like I told my husband, I was like, I don't want to die. That's so I'm getting that moment out of my head, but it was, um, it was romanticizing because you do remember there were really a lot of good times that I had drinking. It wasn't all horrible. Yeah. I mean, there were times that were horrible too, but it's, it's kind of like you have to have to determine, um, even though you had those good times, what did it lead to? You have to, I have to think the drink through. I have to think about where I ended up before I got sober. Play it forward. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to to recognize that we shouldn't feel guilty for romanticizing. There's no reason to feel guilty for remembering the good times because we did all have good times. There was a reason we drank, right? It's okay that we have cravings. There's nothing wrong with us. That doesn't make us, it doesn't mean we're we're doing recovery badly. All of those things are so normal. And like you talked about, Katie, like you made obviously major, major health issues. And still 
there's that the 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 thinking about the positives and I have a friend who's got some some serious health issues also from drinking and she's you know had those, those cravings come up and she's like what is wrong with me nothing is wrong with you that's okay that's normal talk about it we all have those thoughts and feelings it doesn't mean you're going to drink it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you it's okay as soon as for me as soon as i start telling myself i shouldn't feel this way then i'm putting myself in a bad spot because then i want to turn off the feeling right um and so it just like with validating every other feeling which we have talked about i don't know how many times on this podcast yeah just validate the way you feel it's okay there's no reason to feel guilty for it but then you need to decide what to do with that feeling and make the right choice i just think it's so easy to start beating ourselves up for having those feelings and if we're not talking about it we don't realize everybody else has those feelings too Julie, you talk about talking about the feelings. And actually, I love the stories that were shared here today. Matt, you talked about the craving with the bargaining voice. I get the image of the devil on the shoulder and then the then the angel on the other side. And you get that little argument that goes that goes along. And talking about it is hard. Talking about it and and giving yourself permission to let somebody else in is difficult. Geez, if I don't let anybody else know, then that I'm stronger because I did it on my own and we're stronger when we do things together. And that's part of why we're all here. And I think that's pretty awesome. Katie, you talk about that list of rules that you have to give yourself permission. I think that is brilliant. I always look at it as it's like, it's not an option and you, you're like, okay, it's an option, but I have to jump through all of these bazillion hoops, which you're going to share with us and we'll be able to share with all of our listeners here, we all talked, Robbie, you too, cravings come with places and emotions. We experience an emotion, a negative one, a positive one, or, or whatever it is, and the craving or the trigger comes along with it. It's like they're attached. We romanticize it. Katie talked about old feelings. We talked about sensations. When we were using, we had good times. I think we're allowed to celebrate still those good times when we were drinking, but I think that's the easy thing to do is sell it. Wow. It always felt so good. And, and it was so easy to forget like the bad times. And, and that's like essentially why I'm sober is because there, it got so freaking bad that I don't ever want to meet that man again. And I don't ever want to experience that all over again. It was just hard. And Matt, you mentioned never make a permanent decision based on a temporary emotion and a craving isn't bad. I think it's a cue to do something positive for yourself. I want to say thank you, Matt. Thank you, Katie. And thank you, Robbie, for your time and your stories and your vulnerability tonight. Really, really appreciate you guys. Thank you for kicking off season two of Through the Glass Recovery Podcast. You guys were great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. To our listeners, thank you so much for being here, for listening, for supporting us, for letting us be a part of your recovery journey. Don't forget, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you've never left a rating and review for our show, we would be so grateful if you'd take a few minutes to do that. It makes a huge difference in swaying the algorithm in our favor and making it possible for us to reach even more people who could use a little bit of inspiration and guidance 
on their journeys too.